all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any type of health care issues that are yours or maybe they're someone else's, maybe some questions about medications or new diagnoses that you've been given that you didn't quite understand, or maybe it's some different avenues of treatment that you're exploring. We would be glad to take those calls right now. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, you can always email <coughs> email us with those questions. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. It's uh, in that sort of yo-yo period of uh, weather with Mississippi where we're warm one day and freezing the next. Have to be careful about that. A lot of rain that ends up, uh, uh, for instance, tonight can end up as ice in the morning or later in the day or through the weekend. So just be aware of that and be careful out there. We're not used to driving in those conditions in Mississippi, and we can certainly have a, uh, avoid a lot of potential negative uh, consequences of that if we just take care and uh, slow down a little bit. And uh, also uh, prepare for that with, uh, you know, depending on where you live and what your house looks like, uh, you need to take those precautions for um, for colder weather um, as it uh, moves in. So go ahead and make those kinds of adjustments now and also for your pets too. So uh, just a, a little bit of warning out there. I always talk to different people. My sister actually lives in uh, Chicago, right outside of Chicago, and they're very used to cold weather there and uh, not so much here. You know, we're we're pretty good with the heat, but um, not so good with the cold. So just be careful out there and plan accordingly. We've got a couple of callers that are calling in right now. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven. Oh, sorry. Missed that a little bit. Um, uh, one eight seven seven. Sorry, I'm gonna have to look at my notes here. Occasionally, I just totally forget the number. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're gonna go to Rachel from Eupora, who's our first caller. Hi, doctor. How are you doing? Good. So, What's your question this morning? I have a question about something I already asked you about. Uh, you told me the name of a medication that is sometimes used for gastroparesis. And I've lost it, and I uh, have tried to research it myself and with no luck. Wondered if you could hmm. pull that up out yeah, of your there's, head. There, <laughs> well, there's <laughs> several. I, it may have been um, there are a couple of different pro-gastric um, that sort of increase, you know, how well food travels through your stomach. 
One of those is actually an antibiotic that's used sometimes called erythromycin. And erythromycin is a little bit of a cousin of azithromycin or zithromax. And it, it increases the or decreases the time that food passes through your stomach. So it moves it through a little bit quicker. There are a couple uh-huh. of other medications, too, that are used. And then they also use a, a device that's sort of a gastric pacemaker. Um, you don't have to be a GI doctor to prescribe those, but it certainly helps even if somebody's not totally, you know, the, the gastroparesis GI specialists are few and far between. There's not a whole lot of them out there, but there are some basic medications that they can they can prescribe that can do that. Erythromycin is the only one that I, I'm thinking of uh, just off the top of uh-huh. my mind that's been used a little bit. Uh, Dromperidone is another one, uh, but both of those Would are you prescription spell that medications. For me? Uh, the erythromycin? No, I've got that one. Uh, I believe the, the drum, one. yeah, the drum peridone, uh, domperidone, D-O-M-P-E-R-I-D-O-N-E. Okay. That but helps that, me a lot. Yeah, th- that, may be, that may be a couple that you can talk to your physician about. But generally speaking, once somebody gets to the point where they have gastroparesis, uh, I would, if I had it, I would want either a gastroenterologist or a diabetic specialist treating me. So that's, if you have that at your disposal, if not, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to look at some of these protocols and, and to try that for a, you know, for a, for internal medicine or family medicine doctor, if they're comfortable doing that. So that may be something uh-huh. you could bring to them. Okay. Well, it's for a friend and, uh, I'll leave that up to her then. And All thank right. you so much, doctor. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Let's go to TJ from Kosciuszko. Good morning, TJ. Hey, Doc. How you doing? Good. What's your question? About, uh, about uh, 18 years ago, you saved my son, and I want to thank you for that. Really? He's, well, he's 28 He's twenty eight right now, but 18, when he was 10 years old, you was the only one that could fix him. Well, I, I, I wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, he had a digestive problem, and you and your specialist figured out what was wrong with him and fixed him and sent him home. And I appreciate that. But I woke up the other night. I'm 64, healthy as a horse, never been sick, stomach like a cast iron skillet. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and my head was itching real bad. And my tongue swole up. And my lips swole up, and I hadn't eaten anything that I don't usually eat. I hadn't done anything unusual. Had you you taken any new medications within the last week or so or anything over the counter? No. I don't take any medication. I don't take anything over the counter medication. I don't take nothing. And I'm healthy as a horse and energy like a jackass. (laughs) <laughs> well, something yeah. something hit something. I had some kind of allergic reaction or something, but my tongue swelled up so thick I couldn't swallow. Yeah, and it scared it scared us to death. We call that um, anaphylactic shock. Yeah, or angioedema is the other thing. That's just the swelling part of it. So those are really specific symptoms for an allergic type reaction. You got to be a really good detective to figure this out sometimes, and it's not 
uh, it's not altogether straightforward. Um, it could be something that you inhaled that you just passed by that was that triggered that. It could be something that um, that you ate that maybe you you have eaten for the last you know for sixty years all your life. Uh, but all of a sudden you've got an alerted reaction to it or, or yeah. it could be, it, you could just not even, uh, know what's there. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can cause that, that don't really, aren't really picked up. Unfortunately, there's not really a blood test or anything like that that you can take for that, um, to, to figure out what was causing it. Hopefully you won't have that come up again, but... If you do, it would be nice just to sort of, I think if it does again, you definitely, just because of how serious that can be, particularly if you have additional symptoms of like wheezing uh, or shortness of breath, then you need to see a doctor and maybe even an allergist to do, run some tests. There are a couple of um, of acquired conditions where you can have that kind of response, and it has to do more of what's going on in the body than something that you're you're that's triggering it. There's still a trigger there, but a lot of times there can be other things that are going on. And if you don't, you know, if it's a severe case of that, and you don't receive medical attention, you could run into some serious problems quick. Um, but I don't know. I don't. You know, if you can't really, if if you can't really identify anything that was different, hopefully that will not. Um, cause you any problems, but um, but again, if it does, if it comes up, I would I would get to the doctor pretty quick to to run some tests on you. Okay, good. My wife, she's pretty smart. So this happened two days ago at night, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, her and my son were right there with me to take me to the emergency room because they said this ain't. But you know, it went away in about an hour. Yeah, that's weird. My tongue, my tongue thin, my tongue thin down. I could swallow and I could talk. And the next day, my lip was drooping a little bit. And I said, "This is going to be a mystery." Yeah, my wife told me that. She said, "This is it might be a ten year mystery." And let's just see if it keeps happening. And whatever you did yesterday, don't do it today, for God's sake. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Thanks, Doc. All right, TJ. I appreciate that. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Ann from Itawamba next. Good morning, Ann. Are you there, Ann? Hello? Ann, are you there? All right, we're going to wait on Ann to see if she picks up there. Um, Let's see if we have, I think we have maybe one other person that's waiting right now. Um, Let's go to James from Natchez first, and then we'll come back to Ann, see if we can pick her up. Good morning, James. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having me on your show. Sure. Uh, What's your question this morning? I I was pronounced with uh, AT fibrillation. Yeah. And uh, my heart rate was so low that the doctor prescribed, you know, a pacemaker. Uh-huh. And uh, when he put the pacemaker in, he said that your stamina would, you know, be up there better than, you know, you know, you'd be really feeling great. Well, for about a week I was, but now, uh, and he prescribed, uh, uh, ad, uh, I'm pronouncing it, uh, a vortistan, cholesterol uh, medicine, a torvastatin, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, a torvastatin, and. Uh, it, uh, you know, I never have had cholesterol problems, never. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine was telling me that, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the same thing, he never had cholesterol problems either. And uh, 
once he got off of the cholesterol uh, pills, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't feeling woozy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I walked 50 yards, and I'm out of breath now. Hmm. Yeah, a couple of things that could be happening. Um, first of all, just to, you know, atrial fibrillation is very common. It sounds like you had a block with that. Normally, you don't have to put a pacemaker in just for atrial uh, fibrillation. There's usually something else going on in the in the electrical or conduction pathway of the heart. Um, so that is true. That it, once you correct that, you should have some you know increased energy and stamina and feel a lot better generally. Um, depending on the type of pacemaker that they put in, though, there can be, even if you're feeling good for a week, they may need to, what they call, interrogate that, which is just they, they run, you know, a little, uh, some, most of the time they do this over the phone now or do, do it electronically. But you may need to, to contact them about the pacemaker just so they can make sure that it's working okay. Um, there are several of them that work in both chambers, both the upper chambers of the heart and the lower chambers of the heart. They're called a dual-chamber pacemaker um, that are a little bit better at, at giving you that stamina and, and function back. Um, the cholesterol medications are given not just for high cholesterol, but, but more importantly for your overall risk of a heart attack or stroke. So that involves not only cholesterol, but things like your, high, your, your blood pressure, your age, your, uh, whether or not you have other things that can put you at risk like diabetes uh, or if you've had a heart attack before. So there, my guess is even though your cholesterol may have been fine, your overall risk of having a heart attack or stroke was high enough that putting you on a cholesterol medication like a torvastatin actually lowers your risk. Now, those medications can have side effects. The biggest one is just fatigue and muscle soreness. Um, and um, that's a it's a pretty low percent of people that have that. I would let them know that may be something that'd be an easy change they could take you off of it, see if you feel better, um, and then maybe try a different different medication that can do the same thing of reducing your risk. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that would be an easy fix first. But they probably need to interrogate that pacemaker too and make sure that it's programmed right. They can reprogram that and change the settings on it. Uh, pretty easy without having to do a surgery or anything um, to make sure that it's it's set at the right levels just for you. Gotcha. Okay, thanks a lot. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Coach Charlie Melton, and I want to help steer you in the right direction. If you need coaching on fixing up your automobile, listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect, found on all podcasting platforms. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions that you might have about your health or the health of someone near and dear to you. The number to call right now is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
Uh, our first caller had asked a question, Rachel, about uh, gastroparesis, and we mentioned several medications that might be useful. There's one more that came to mind in the break um, is uh, metoclopramide, so or Reglan. So that's sort of a first-line agent and one that, that most people would uh, would do first before they did uh, drum, uh, domperidone, which you can't really – Gastroenterologists are usually able to get it, but it's it's not readily available in the U.S. So you can actually get it from Canada and a couple other places. But and then and then the erythromycin is one too that they can use, and there are several other medications. But just wanted to add that metoclopramide or Reglan uh, is another one that they could uh, they could try. All right, we're going to go to uh, I believe Ann from Itawamba County. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Thanks for calling. What's your question this morning? I'm 78 years old, and I have hot flashes that are horrible. They're from my waist up, and uh, I just hate them. I, I dress in layers so I can tear off one layer when I'm burning up, and then it passes, and the sweat dries and gets cold. And uh, I know this is not you know, going to kill me or anything, but it's maddening, and I'm, I have an FNP who uh, won't give me estrogen. I decided that estrogen might fix it until I had my mammogram February 25. And I went to a, uh, an internal medicine doctor uh, within the past year to get a, another opinion. And he took 19 vials of blood and said, you know, everything's fine. Thyroid's fine, everything. So what do you think? Did the did the hot flashes just start, uh, or have no, you been having them for like the last twenty years or so? The last twenty years, but mild, and now they're increasing in intensity. Huh? Yeah, that is a little unusual. You know, perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms usually, and hot flashes can be one of those. Normally, they'll be right about you know when you're about 45 to 50, they'll start, and then but usually after about 10 years, they go away at the most, and sometimes it's more like three to five years. But um, if you do take estrogen during that time, it it I have seen patients that were their hot flashes when they got off of estrogen completely. That's when they started having them, but usually by uh, you know, by by the time you're 70 or, or mid-70s, they should be gone away. So that is a little bit unusual to have them that long. Now, I'm presuming... I've never taken, I've Go never ahead. taken estrogen because okay. of uh, the breast cancer because, thing. Gotcha, yeah. And at this point, I would not recommend that either. I think it's it's more, you're going to have more potential risk with that than benefit. But um, there are Even other things... Even with that good mammogram? Yeah, even with the even with the mammogram, I, I and I don't think the time period. Um, honestly, if if you were doing it this late, I would have checked some hormone levels just to see what they look like, like a, an, a what's called a LH or a luteinizing hormone, and a FSH, um, and 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 general estrogen levels. That's more in the arena of an endocrinologist, um, but that that is that's pretty unusual for your age to have these symptoms persist. So I think looking for other reasons would be important. Certainly hormone changes can be one of those. I don't know specifically what the internal medicine doctor that you saw took. Um, you know, maybe they were, they may not have looked 
that deep about that. Thyroid uh, function can do that. Um, so a lot of the, of the endocrine type things can can do it. And then, um, you know, probably not something more serious than that if it's been going on for 20 years, you know, uh, off and on. But um, like a, a cancer or those kinds of things. If it's abrupt, I always think about that too, particularly some of the um, some of the blood type cancers, some of the leukemias might do that. But if it's been going on for 20 years, that's not, that's not is what going on. But yeah, I, so, I might, I might be a little persistent with your doctor about trying to figure this out some more. Cause I don't think this is just menopausal symptoms that you're having this late in the game. I mean, that's, if it's been going on mm-hmm. for 20 years, they may need to look at, mm-hmm. at some other things. And it's they're increasing in intensity. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. I think I would I would I would ask to go see an endocrinologist, and they're really the experts with different types of hormones, not just the male female hormones, but others, and see if they can take a look at you because that may give you the answers about why this is about what's going on. Okay, great. I'll do that. So I should get um, estrogen off my mind, my own diagnosis. Yeah, at at least until you um get some other things checked before that cuz um yeah, it's it's it, that may not even make a big difference at all on your symptom relief. So, yeah, I, but I would I if, if I were you or or you or my family, I think I'd see an endocrinologist first. Okay, well you mentioned two things could um that perhaps my FNP could Look into what were those two things? Three. Yeah, I think they should. I I just don't know if they're going to think about it in quite the same way of a endocrinology type problem. Um, and you know, even the patients that I have, if if you presented to me, I might check a couple of th- things first, like that thyroid test. But outside of that, I think I would just go ahead and send you to an endocrinologist because there may be some special tests that they order that I don't even think about and. That'll save you a blood stick and a you know just going to see them sometimes is probably the best thing. All right, I'll do that. Thank you. All right, thank you, Ann. Let's go to John from Port Gibson. Good morning, John. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Uh, what's good? Well, arthritis in my knee. Did you say arthritis in your knee? Yeah. Yeah. Is this how old are you, John? 57. 57. Is this something that's been like a pain that's been there for a while? It's been there about, uh, say, about a year. Okay. It, are you, do you do a lot of things with your knees, or like bending down a lot or those kinds of things? Yeah. Okay. And have you, did you ever injure your knees in any way, like a like an old sports injury or something like that? No, I ain't never had it. Okay. Yeah, so so pain in your knees can be a common thing. And uh, if it's, you know, we sort of divide those up into things that happen recently or um, a thing that happens chronically. And sounds like this is more of a chronic nature. Something that's like, like happened recently would be like the last couple of weeks. But if it's been going on for that long. Um, so there's two, there's a couple of different types of, of things that could be could be causing that. Everybody thinks about arthritis, but really there's a lot of other structures around the knee that if you stress them over time, 
they could give you a lot of problems too. So the tendons and ligaments there, sometimes there can be injuries to those or overuse of those, uh, particularly if you have to use them a lot, and that can cause a lot of pain. Uh, arthritis, the most common type is osteoarthritis. That's wear and tear arthritis. And just about everybody gets this the longer you live. It does matter, you know, if some of those questions I was asking about previous injuries can put you at risk for it. And then there's inflammatory conditions that can cause arthritis. These are things like rheumatoid arthritis and uh, some of the other autoimmune types of arthritis. There's gout-related arthritis that can sometimes be there. So there's a long list of things. Um, if it's just pain in your knee and it's not swelling up too bad or not hot, um, you know, that's probably the osteoarthritis. Um, but you you may need somebody to... Pain in the knee. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know exactly what you're taking right now, but honestly, I would start with Tylenol. Um, the reason I'd pick Tylenol over ibuprofen would be if you take ibuprofen a lot, it can put you at risk for some kidney damage. And unless you have any, you know, as long as you, nobody's ever told you you had any liver problems or uh, to not take Tylenol, I think Tylenol would be a first step just over-the-counter or extra-strength Tylenol. Um, people, different people figure out different things that work. There's some over-the-counter things that can help, like some of the patches that have our creams that you can put over that. Um, there's one called Voltaren Gel that's at the grocery stores that's over-the-counter. It used to be a prescription that that's like this 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 cream that you put on there, and it can help with the pain. It doesn't have a lot of the other side effects that taking medications by mouth do. What's but the name of that cream? Voltaren with a V, so it's V O L T A R E N. Oh, okay. I, and you might want to try that with some extra strength Tylenol, and just go by what the bottle says to take on that. If that doesn't work for you, you might want to see somebody. Sometimes you can do physical therapy for a, a short period of time and a, a physician would have to prescribe that and then basically you you strengthen those muscles around the knee and it takes a lot of that wear and tear off the bone so but they may want to get x-rays too and there may be some other things like i mentioned there's a, a lot of other things that might be causing pain that you might be missing but i think that's the first things i would do is maybe take some extra strength tylenol and use that voltaren gel okay all right, thank you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
is Southern Ribbon on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your health care questions. I've got some great ones so far. Plenty of time for you to call in this hour. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email. Send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Betty down in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Betty. Um, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I have a question. I've been diagnosed with a rare breast tumor that's malignant. I had a lumpectomy. I've been doing a lot of reading of research on this uh, treatment and everything. And I'm wondering if I should try to get a second opinion on this pathology report. From what I'm reading, it seems like the characteristics of the tumor might have a impact on whether it's going to come back or spread. And so, yeah, it's a Pelotes a a breast tumor, which is apparently very rare, and it's not the typical type of breast cancer. Yeah, and are you seeing a, a medical oncologist? Um, I'm going to be having an appointment with a radiation oncologist, which is what they said is the next step. Okay. But, um yeah, I, but I, I would, what I've read is that radiation, they're not sure whether radiation helps or not. Yeah. With the, you know, there's, uh, as you, as you brought out, there's different types of breast cancer. Um, as, as often the case, people tend to say, you know, I've got liver cancer or breast cancer and there, there's even more diff- more types. And what we know now is you can't treat all of them the same way. And some of them are better, better served with surgery. Uh, some of them are better with surgery plus something else like radiation therapy or maybe chemotherapy. And then the staging of it, the staging is just how um, how widespread it is. So if it's contained to the, the surgical site, like with a lumpectomy, where they take out a part of it, uh, of the not just the tumor, but right around the tumor. And you're right, there are certain characteristics and certain types of cancers that are more likely to spread. Uh, those, obviously, we we tend to treat more aggressively to try to prevent that. So I, particularly with a, a rare or not as common cause of, of cancer, I would get a second opinion, honestly, just to make sure. Um, now, it's, you know, the rarer you get, the more opinions you're, you're going to get, unless it's something that has been clearly, um, uh, that there's a protocol clearly to, to try to treat that. And sometimes going to a regional center that is, you know, more, uh, accustomed with treating rarer things would be there too. What I, the, the reason I ask about a medical oncologist? Oncologists are experts at at cancer, at treating cancers, and um, some of them are even more subspecialized. Like they're breast cancer specialists, there's colon cancer specialists, and they work in conjunction with surgeons. They work with radiation uh, oncologists. Um, they they work together to try to treat these. Uh, Hattiesburg has a good, a good, uh, you know, a, a lot of oncologists that are very well trained there. It is a regional center, and they have a lot of experience. So, I might get a second opinion first on both what the pathology is and what the best treatment for that is. Also, don't be afraid to ask them, the doctors, when you see them, hey, would this be something that you would send? 
your mom or, or dad, if they are, they had it, you know, depending on the cancer, uh, it would, would you send them to somewhere else? And if so, where, um, but a lot of the treatments now, you don't necessarily have to go somewhere like MD Anderson or, uh, Oshner's or somewhere like that. You can, uh, the, the treatments are readily available and pretty standardized, but, uh, the rarer something is, the more I would lean towards getting a second opinion, both on the diagnosis and the treatment of that. Now, with a cancer, though, I wouldn't delay that a, a long time, so I would probably try to get that wrapped up within the next few weeks um, uh, to go ahead and, and try to get you the best options on starting treatment for that. But um, oncologists, though, are going to have more training than even a radiation oncologist in most cases to give you better options about what you can do. So that's that's the people that I would look to for a second opinion if if you're if you're going to get one. Okay. And how would I start that process? Would I would I talk to my surgeon? Would I talk to the radiation oncologist I've been referred to or do I just I probably I probably would start with your surgeon. Who was the first person that that you saw? Was this picked up on a mammogram? Yes, it was picked yeah. up on a mammogram. Then I had a biopsy. Now I've had the surgery, and it it was um, it was one of those things where it wasn't definite till I had the surgery that it was definitely malignant. Right. And I I know they got. I know the recommended borders are one centimeter, and they got one centimeter around most of it, but on one area they only got a half a centimeter. So yeah, yeah, I'm a little I, bit apprehensive about having a rescission. Right, sure. Um, um, I don't know what to do. Who who usually uh, who usually orders the mammograms for you? Is that your GYN? Um, my my uh, just my internal medicine doctor. I would start with them, uh, and I would probably ask them about, you know, an oncologist or uh, uh, as a second opinion. I think that's the place that I would start, and they they should know several different people to to send you to. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, Betty. You take care. Let's go to Bill in Petal. Good morning, Bill. Hey, Dr. Jimmy. How are you doing? Good. What's your question this morning? I called you about two months ago. I had been suffering, and I, and I got a good fix with the name of a good drug. I was suffering about two years or in two months of this real violent coughing, mm-hmm. and I, I've got a PCP, an allergist, pulmonologist, and cardiologist. Well, it, it took work pretty much of everybody, but one little single blood test finally caught it, and I was having about 24 episodes a day at least, of yeah. just that heavy work and stuff. Nicola, they put that on me, give me that drug as an injection once a month, and uh, it knocked it out. It's, I'm uh, I'm 63, but I feel 28. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, coughing can be just debilitating for a lot of people, and there are some rare... Uh, you know, forms of it that uh, things that can cause coughing, and there's there's some pathways that are that are, are regulated for both blood pressure and the immune system that sort of overlap, and sometimes they can they can cause that chronic cough. So, I'm glad you got got some relief. It can be it can be very frustrating because sometimes if it's not something that's fairly straightforward, like 
Uh, post-nasal drip, for instance, if you have allergies, if you treat the allergies, sometimes you prevent the cough or reflux. Those are more common things. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be some of the things, or asthma is another one. But once you get past that, it can take a little bit of time. And I think you just described what the what to expect and, uh, you know, about uh, having to sort of tease that out with either lung doctors or immunologists and um and who 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 sort of landed on it? Was that an immunologist or allergist that did that? Well, the pulmonologist verified it. I didn't have COPD, but I had some untreated um, uh, what is the word asthma? Yeah, uh huh. What uh-huh. got him triggered? And so he contacted my my allergist guy, and he says, "Okay, let me do this one more blood test." And he had and whammo, and they caught it. And so it was allergies, is, you know, administered this drug, and they all caught it. I mean, they all worked. I guess what I was saying was it caused me to have lose faith in any kind of medical services or, you know, because it was so long, two years. Right, but right. it was worth the wait. So I would like to say, you know, you got to just hang in there. It's tons of doctor appointments, but they got it. They fixed it. And I've been on it four months now, almost four. And uh, it, for me, it's worked real, real good. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that is, that's a good point. And, you know, it's just as frustrating to us as physicians sometimes because we want to make that diagnosis real quick. It's just for some things, it takes time and it takes a team effort of different people working together. And the more, um, you know, the more complicated problems I've had with some of my patients, it re- requires those phone calls between two or three of us uh, together um, to say, okay, what do what do we think? It needs to be the the next thing, and um, but yeah, I think that's a great that's a great outcome. You brought out a couple of things, and and specifically for people out there that are going on, you know, months or years even with certain symptoms, don't give up because um, there there can be hope for you. Um, it just takes a lot of persistence and a team effort amongst different people. <music> I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Timmy with you this morning with lots of good questions about all kinds of good stuff. And it's always a joy to take your, um, to take your questions uh, about any kind of medical issue that you might have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call, 
during this hour, you can always reach us by email. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Or if you missed a part of a program, you want to go back and listen to it, you can always go to our website at mpbonline.org and check out our archive programs or subscribe to our podcast. That's right. You can listen to us at your leisure and uh, email us. Uh, We would love to hear about your questions. We try to answer you directly, but we also like to share those with our larger audience if you give us permission. We're going to go to um, Susan, who's patiently waiting from Memphis. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. I wanted to know what the symptoms are for a blood clot in the leg. Blood clot in the leg. Yeah, so we call that a a DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and um, the legs are one of the more common areas for that, and usually it's it's a number of things. There's venous stasis, so that's um, blood stays in a certain area for a long time, and the way that veins work is they require movement of the of the limb of the of the leg to get that to help get that blood back up to the heart. So you tend to have more of a um, uh, you're higher risk for this if you're immobile. So if it's a long car ride, or if it's plane, or or something like that, or you're uh, maybe you're recovering from uh, an illness in the hospital or a surgery. The second thing is a damage to the blood vessels, and those can be from like surgeries. They can be from a car wreck. They can be internally. Maybe there's an inflammatory state going on. Uh, that's caused some damage to to your veins, or it's um, it's another risk factor is a hypercoagulable state. That just means that you're more apt to have blood clots because of a certain uh, either blood condition or infection or those kinds of things. Now the symptoms; those are all risk factors. The symptoms of it is usually a pain and and a lump in the lower leg. Um, you can have a blood clot further up, but usually it's in the lower part of the leg below the knee on the back side of your leg, uh, accompanied by some swelling. Uh, and usually this is just one leg and not both. Although if you're, you know, if you have those risk factors big enough, you could have them in both of them. Um, you can, you don't have to feel that lump, but swelling like that with a lot of other risk factors, that's always a reason to get that checked out. Uh, usually we'll diagnose this with an ultrasound. So they look at the veins in your leg. And again, these aren't the veins that you can see on the outside. A lot of people will have varicose veins or something called venous stasis disease um, where where blood in the surface veins, it sort of sits there and it gets sort of a bronzy color to the skin. Um, that has some other problems associated with it, but the clots are deeper in those deep veins um, and you can't really see those. You can sometimes feel it, um, the, the actual clot, if you're if you're pretty good at that. But usually we'll use ultrasound to to look at that. Uh, not something you want to sit on for a long time. If you think you're having that, again, it's an easy thing to diagnose. I have a pretty low threshold for getting ultrasounds in my patients that present that way, unless it's clearly you know on exam doesn't doesn't really look like that, but. Um, that's what I would do is call somebody if you think that's what's going on and and get them to see if they can't order you an ultrasound. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Lots of other things, too, that, um, you know, if you have heart failure where you're not pumping blood appropriately to parts of your body, if you're a smoker, that can put you at risk. If you have cancers of any type, those are all things that can put you at increased risk, and that's, 
usually uh, is a much lower threshold for me getting an ultrasound. So um, those are some other things to keep in mind. Uh, let's go to Tony from Bruce, Mississippi. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning? Yes, I had a, a stomach surgery back in uh, 2021, and anyway, they said I had foreign body. I guess it went through my uh, GI tract, perforated my GI tract, mm-hmm. and at first they was telling me it was metallic. So I was just kind of saying, you know, right now it seems like I pretty much got back to 100%, but still kind of curious about it. Yeah, that is interesting. So you don't you don't recall swallowing anything that was metal or or something no. like that. Yeah, no. that's interesting. You know, most most swallow it's it's really particularly in kids we see this, you know, that um that that they'll swallow anything and and there's all kinds of stuff that can travel through I've even seen open uh, safety pins uh, that somehow make it through the entire GI tract of a kid. Now, don't go and try to do that um, uh, for everybody listening out there. But it's amazing what kind of things do that. The things that are more uh, dangerous are uh, like magnets because they'll go down individually and then they'll sort of attach to each other across those loops of bowel that they're in and they'll cause some problems. Or button batteries are the worst because they actually discharge when they're in the GI tract and can burn a hole through things. But that's interesting without, you know, without really knowing it. It could be something that you ate that had maybe something metal in it because um, it'd be pretty hard to, to not notice that, particularly if it was large enough to, you know, cause some problems. Did they recover that? Did they go down and get that? Uh, they they say they, they say they, the well, they went in there, but they never did say they got it like I might have passed it or I know uh, probably a month prior to that I, I had had a uh, endoscopy so mm-hmm. yeah I don't know if, I don't know if anything could have come off from that procedure yeah. or what I guess it's possible. Um, you, they probably need to know about that to make sure they check their devices and everything. Uh, good news is, if you're healed up from it, probably not going to cause you any problems as long as something else doesn't go traveling down through there. But that's that's a strange one. Um, but yeah, I would just continue to you know try not to do anything that's going to irritate those tissues. But you should get better over time. Okay. All right. I greatly thank you. All right. Uh, we got one minute left. Let's try to squeeze Mike from Hernando in here. Mike, we got one minute to go. Let's see if we can answer your question. Hey, Doc, is there is there any over-the-counter, like, uh, nature-made uh, supplement that would be effective uh, against arthritis? I've read that insulin sometimes is a uh, factor involved in arthritis problems. Um, I know the, the energy drink Boost has a listing of a uh, supplement that's including in Boost that they say is good for arthritis. Is there anything I can take over-the-counter, like the nature-made products in stores that might be good uh, to help? Yeah, the the two things that I've seen that won't hurt you at all is uh, chondroitin sulfate and glucosamine, and they've done some studies on both of those, and those are the ones that you can take orally. 
that and if you look at the studies it's it's sort of hit or miss so individual people will tell you well they i i do great on those and that's what i take every day for to try to help with my arthritis or to prevent it uh, any further damage and uh, it, there's not a whole lot of data to that but that's one of those things that it's not going to hurt you the other things you mentioned i'm not aware of any data that supports um you know whether or not they they do any good but those are the two things. There's also some things that they can inject besides steroids into the joint space itself that can provide at least some pain relief for that and won't cause a whole lot of, of side effects. But um, most of the time, it's it's uh, those two medications are uh, over-the-counter medications, the chondroitin sulfate and the um, uh, glucosamine are two of the ones that have been looked at the most. Well, that's about oh, all the time. Is that CBD? What, sorry, what's that? Yeah, I'm on CBD, and that helps. Yeah, well, and I've I've heard some people that have had some improvement with uh, any type of pain, but particularly with arthritis pain, so that's another one, yeah. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.